awesome. <laughs> Turkey. Yeah. This is for you, Doran. It's a card that says, Dear Widow Kirk, Bright Everything. <laughs> Turkey. He teased, I teased him about being Turkey, and he's like, Oh, Widow Kirk, you know this, that was all sarcastic. Of course, of course. Both our parts, okay. So there. Wow. So I've had that for many, many years, you know? Yeah, that's, yeah. Beautiful. that's beautiful. So tell me about this podcast you guys are doing. You know, we want to just start kind of a, you know, we realize that between the two of us, um, Adam, from what he's done in music, um, and his dad, obviously, Turkey, uh -huh. little Turkey from what he's done in music, <laughs> and Turkey, um, uh -huh. uh, he knows so many people. And because I'm a musician and I travel all the time, I'm uh -huh. always in these, these different locations. Uh -huh. And uh, we realize that not just our generation, but the generation above us, and if we're even lucky, the generation above them, uh -huh. in our kind of musical, cultural world, we... We feel, you know, we see our kids, and we feel that that's getting lost. Those stories, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and not just the music. The music is there; that's always there. But the the stories of the people and their motivations and their experiences in it are really important. And we want to capture that. You know, um, my I, I got the I, my mom. Uh, videotape my grandfather who's 102 wow. and he's completely 100% there wow. and he just stream of consciousness went on wow. for an hour and this is a man who grew up in New York City who wow. who you know he told us about how when he almost got hit by a fire truck pulled by 12 horses wow. you know I mean st yeah. stories like this and, and they go on and on and you know I thought for my kids you know they'll remember their great-grandfather but I you know it, it's that's just you know long story short you know, all the time we spend in the van, uh, you spend traveling mm -hmm. at the gig, all these things, and it, it is a way of life, you mm -hmm. know? And we wanted to kind of preserve that. Not preserve wow. it, but yeah. to, to have a snapshot of not just, you know, just the conversations and, and the experience and, yeah. and, uh, and the philosophy yeah. Um, all and the culture and all those important things that that lead to creating music that maybe at some point will not be created that way anymore. Even yeah. what you want to call jazz yeah. is not when you think about somebody like Rasan, um, how difficult it was for people of his generation. Mm -hmm. um, not just to exist on a daily basis, but mm -hmm. to get the information they needed mm -hmm. to create mm -hmm. the way they created and what they created. Whereas today, that's everywhere. It's everywhere. Every, everywhere. I, at one time, I started keeping a diary, and I could just shoot myself. I, I, I got hardly no place. I should mm. have kept that. That, that. that was a book. But I didn't. So that's that, as Max Gordon would say. In the next life, somebody told Max Gordon, <laughs> you spelled Dorothy's name wrong. And now he's like, I get it right in the next book. <laughs> <laughs> Max was something else, you know. Yeah, so, so that's great you guys are doing this. Yeah. And he told me, you all just... Wanted to get a collection yeah. of interviews and yeah. can and, and like in your case, it's 
obviously I'm like a huge Roland Kirk fan. It, he means personally to me. Well, I, I did not know him personally, but right. I studied his music yeah. very deeply. So to me, he was a very important part of my learning process, uh-huh. my becoming a musician, you uh-huh. know, because he, you know, I was into this jazz playing guitar and I was like, what? Yeah. And I had different ideas about what to do with the instrument and and everything was so put in this box, put in that box, in this box. And when I discovered a record by him, I remember I was about 19 at a yard sale in Sacramento. Wow. I got a record and it had, it was a double vinyl, obviously, at that time. Uh-huh. And one uh, of the records was the early record he made with uh, Jack McDuff. I just got it. Kirk's look, work, I think it's called. Look at me, everything goes to money. I just got a check from Sound Check, the, uh, mm. Sound Exchange oh, the okay. other day. And that very CD was on there. That's scary because nobody that that almost just doesn't exist. Yeah, that's crap. Wow, isn't that something? Yeah. And the other the other <laughs> record was the later record. Probably later is probably like three or four years later that he did with Elvin Jones and Jackie Byard. Oh, Rip Rig and Panic. Yes, oh. Rip Rig and Panic. Right. That's where they poured a the that's really actually because I heard him and Turk. This was before my time, but I heard him and Turkey talk about that. They actually broke glass and poured it from from what it, bucket to bucket. That's how they it. did that. Yeah. Wow. Rip Riggin. I love that. <laughs> they were out. They they Turkey and Rasan were made for each other. Yeah. Yeah, they were. You know. The two yeah. two sides of the same coin is that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I I bet there were that would have been very few producers that understood Rasan the way Joel did. When Warner Brothers signed Rasan, they gave him and you'll probably appreciate that, X amount of dollars in his contract. Da, 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 whatever. Right with each record and you still right. you know, but escalating he amounts. did not want a producer from Warner Brothers. He didn't want to have anything to do with their, I guess you would call it in-house producers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so some kind of way he wrote Joel into his contract oh, to be wow. assured they would still be together in terms of Joel being his producer. And interestingly enough, and it's probably written somewhere, Rasan didn't let Joel have a lot of input until the very later years, even though he might be listed as producer. (laughs) Pretty much all he had done was arraigned the session and maybe Kathy, who was his secretary at the time, called the musicians or something like that. But there came a time where Rasan let Joel have more input. And I'm trying to remember what record that was most prominent in, but I don't remember when it really started. Case of the Three-Sided Dream. I know that that for for sure, sure. Because I remember something happening that was completely unheard of. The, him, Joel, asking me my opinion. 
That was unheard of. So he asked me, what do you think about the title? Um, I don't even know what made him do that. The Case of the Three-Sided Dream in Audio Color. And I was like, I have no idea what that means, and that just makes no sense to me. <laughs> I am a black and white person, no gray area, no esoteric, you know, right. nothing. Which is you why know? you're running the radio station <laughs> instead of being a guy like me who comes to play on you it, know, right? You yeah, know, yeah, 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 so, so yeah. So, yeah, that was quite a relationship. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. You want to know something that I still can't throw out of my mind? Yeah. <clears throat> Rasan died December 5th on a Monday in Bloomington, Indiana. Mm. Joel died on a Monday. December 17th in New York City. Neither, both died on a Monday in December and neither one of them was at home or in any kind mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. facility. I just, I just thought that was so strange. Yeah. And you know what else is scary? The 10th of December is when we had that big tribute to Rasan in New York, which Little Turkey was supposed to come to and do something with his father. But he got some gig or something. I can't quite remember. This picture is from there. That was oh, at wow. The, that's at the very, very end because Gary, well, he actually produced the thing. He... He took my idea to a complete different level. So it was on a Monday, December mm -hmm. the 10th, and Turkey died exactly one week later. Wow. December the 17th, 17th. you said, yeah. I was like, ding, ding, ding. It's like I'm not even, yeah. <clears throat> I'm not even going to try to figure out the what cosmology. that means if it meant something, but but Steve Teray and I know it meant something because Steve and I had an experience in Bloomington, Indiana, the night before Rasan died, and we we don't bring it up often, but one, every now and then we mm -hmm. have to, you know. So all those things means something yeah. I don't know connection connection yeah connectivity yeah yeah for sure yeah absolutely for sure. Yeah. well when you you grew up in Houston I grew up in Houston yeah. Texas and then when you I I think I heard it you can correct me if I'm wrong okay but when you were maybe 16 or 17 you moved to LA to go to college That's is right. that what happened 17 yeah exactly so 17. that must have been at that point that must have been culture shock city for you going from Houston at that point to LA at that point. Well I didn't know anything. Oh okay. I mean it was in the fifties and I was seventeen. <laughs> you know, I knew that my older friends who were really old, eighteen and nineteen, <laughs> you know, and some twenty. Yeah. I knew they had 
smuggled me in places because I was underage. I knew they had smuggled me into a place called the Eldorado Ballroom to see Al Hibbler mm -hmm. um, and some other places that I, I don't even remember who the artists were. But see, when I got to L.A., in those days, that was jazz everywhere. Mm -hmm. That jazz was much a part of my generation as hip hop or whatever it is now is to these young people's generation. You know, um, it was in the in the clubs all around L.A. Big clubs, little clubs, in in in. Um, I guess lobbies or something of hotels and I remember Earl Grant used to play every Wednesday night at a place on Figueroa. God, I haven't even thought about it. I forgot mm -hmm. Earl Grant existed. Do you know? I don't. He's an organ player. Oh, wow. Google Earl Grant. I will, I will. I, I haven't He's thought dumpy. about that in years. They had um breakfast, um, jam sessions at different clubs, like after you've hung out all night at a club, then you can go to certain specific clubs and they jam and, and, and they serve food. And then if you still hadn't had enough, there were the matinees on Sunday wow. afternoons and wow. all of that. So that's kind of, that's what we did. Now, yeah. You know, this is going to sound crazy. We didn't know any better. Well. And we enjoyed and what a that's you know? a yeah, it's a bonanza. It's like a gold cultural gold rush, yeah, you know, for everyone. Yeah, it's, it's it was great. it was great, and <clears throat> it was all over the community. You know, um, I didn't finish college. I went there and I started at L.A. City College. I was headed to be a nurse, but because back then African Americans chose the nurse teacher, mm. etc. If you came from lawyer, doctor, Indian chief, you might become a lawyer or mm -hmm. a doctor, mm -hmm. but, the, you know, somebody African-American coming from Texas, that's what you did. Anyhow, and Rasan will shoot me for this, but he'll just have to shoot me. <laughs> I remember Elvis Press, I didn't go and see him, but mm -hmm. not for any bad reason. Elvis Presley came to Los Angeles City campus college and did a concert way back then i i guess he was just starting wow. you know wow. yeah yeah so very different times of then, course you know of course mm -hmm. yeah i i remember the first time this is something else <clears throat> that was created in los angeles this was a few years oh, wait later. i'm sorry did you see elvis play i didn't you see didn't him. see him but oh, he was okay. on campus just hanging um, out, you saw him. No, he, oh, he performed. Oh, okay. oh, I knew okay. he was there. I don't remember why my group and I didn't go. I don't know if it was money. I don't. I don't mm. even remember if we discussed should we go. But many years later, um, there was another concert series in Los Angeles that started at two a.m. and this was after the clubs had closed. And it was at the Adams Theater, which was on Adams and Crenshaw Boulevard. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time I had ever seen Miles Davis. And they, they would 
they would bring the, I guess the big famous stars from back east and they would perform at the Adams West Theater at two in the morning, again, at a time when the regular clubs had closed. So there was wow. music everywhere, 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 you know, and I'm not sure I knew what I was listening to, but it's what you did and it stuck mm -hmm. with you so many years later, I was like, oh my God, I did this and I did that and when I was younger, I don't remember, I never went to see Coltrane or Billie Holiday and I can't remember if they ever, if they came to Los Angeles, sure, if they sure, did, yeah. I missed them. Those are two I would love to have seen in person. Yeah. 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 Oh, I can imagine. Very different world now. Very, there's, there's, very different. There's, there's little or no music in the neighborhoods. No, it's not. And, you know, uh, I mean, I'll just tell you a story. A friend of mine, he has a piano he's trying to sell. Very nice piano. He needs mm -hmm. to move. It's a very nice upright piano. Mm -hmm. He's calling these music stores. He's like, I need to sell this piano. It's like a $6,000 piano. You know, he goes, well, no, no one, we don't have pianos. We don't, you know, we don't use it. People play the game, kids play the game systems and they yeah. don't play music yeah. and, and yeah. You know, I mean, and that's the big part of why we're doing this, you know, yeah. just like to really understand what that means and the relationship and, you know, yeah. how many. Also, the thing that that I thought was is in my life that I've experienced is um, if you can get proficient at an instrument and have a little bit of your own sound and mm -hmm. you bring all these different musics into what you do, a mm -hmm. lot of like what Rasan did, mm -hmm. then it really opens up a much bigger world to you of human beings that mm -hmm. you can interact with than you would normally. Mm -hmm. And I mean, maybe the, maybe the kids that today do have some anal analogous thing that, that does allow them to do that, but I mean, playing music brought me all around the world, and I yeah. met people that that broadened my horizons, mm -hmm. and I continue to to mm -hmm. this day. Mm -hmm. And and I'm not sure if you do that while you're playing video, kill them, kill them all, video games online right. or no. any of that stuff. It's not no. an expansion; right. it's a contraction, right. ultimately. Yeah, yeah. Funny you should say that because. I was telling you, Charlene and I joined at the hip. That's another whole different story. But last Saturday, we both went next door to the hotel to the Robert Treat to a fundraiser for Raz Baraka, who is running for mayor of Newark. Mm -hmm. But that's not why we went. The keynote speaker was Angela Davis. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And Who so, I remember from my youth, because my mom was a big political activist, oh, okay. and I grew well, up in I Berkeley, California. Well, yeah. So, yeah. That's, Listen, I was in L.A. Yeah. Angela Davis, Patty Hearst, Black Panthers. That was sure. just a normal day, yeah. wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it was just a normal day. It was, absolutely. I never went to hear her speak, so I was just like, when I found that out, I could not wait. Anyhow, I think that ballroom holds, you know, somewhere around a thousand or more. And so Charlene was saying to me because 
while I was sitting at the table or when I got up to go over here to talk to somebody the whole time and I was going from here to there to yonder, she's like, she calls me Dorothy, but sometimes the people around here affectionately call me Miss Kirk. She's like, Miss Kirk, you know, everybody. I said, you know why? Because most of these people that I know, I don't know most of them from the same place. Mm -hmm. I met this one through this and that one through that and so on and so forth. And, and a big portion of them aren't necessarily jazz people, though I have obviously met a lot of people through jazz, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, so... So, yeah, that's how you broaden your horizon. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You, you know. I'm so, I'm so proud of my grandkids because they actually have, they, they're in their 20s. I guess they are millennium kids. I don't mm -hmm. know. They actually have conversations. Oh, and no. they actually, <laughs> they actually criticize their friends who just do Good this for them. Good all for the them. time. Good for them. You know, and... Well, that's. I a, don't know what made them different. Maybe, maybe we did, but sure. we Testimony weren't to the parents trying and, to. It's it's just by how it is. Yeah, yeah, it's by yeah, yeah. Cause my my one grandson was telling me, well, number one, he's very mature and he's always been a little beyond his years. Rasan would have loved him and loved to talk to him, because mm. sometimes he'd get off into that heavy whatever whatever. But he told me about a, a couple that he knew that after they, they met some kind of way and they were texting each other and texting each other all the time. And finally they met and they, they didn't really like each didn't, other. They didn't know what to say. <laughs> they didn't know what to say. Well, that's wow. crazy. Yeah, that's that almost something? unimaginable. It's the cart to before me. the horse, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That's. That's really kind of yeah, sad. Yeah, yeah. I wonder what Rasan would have thought about all of this. this Look, uh, I wonder all the way the this time technology. What he would have thought about this or that or the other. I'm sure he would have found a way to, for technology to benefit him. And I know it would have been a a a, a, a conversation from the bandstand. Sure. As I, as I call it, one of the sermons he preached. Oh, and they were great. I mean, I obviously I'm I'm too young to have seen him live, but I yeah. you know I've seen stuff, film, and uh, some of the stuff is is just great. And I did I spent a day with um, uh, Joe Texador uh, oh, in Ottawa okay. before he passed about okay. 12, 13 years ago, and uh, you know he just told me about the sure. all the travels and the gigs yeah. and the hijinks, like many practical jokes yeah. and stuff like yeah, this. Yeah, and, yeah. But but everything, yeah. what he wanted, what he was trying to say was that, you know, you needed to know that everything had, it might on the surface have one effect, but the ultimate goal was it had to have deeper meanings yeah. that you would take yeah. away yeah. from it yeah. later. That's really funny you would say that because when we did the tribute to Rasan, I had been emailing him and he wasn't sure if he would be able to come, financial constraints, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then I, all of a sudden I get an email from his wife, he died, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, that was another thing. The tribute was in December. Sonny Brown died that August 
Texador died that October, I believe, and Turkey died that mm. December. Mm. Whatever. Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> you know, we're all yeah. taking that route, but I just found that, wow, this is creepy. It's mm. my son somewhere plucking them off because he wants them with him. Ah, this is all too much. <laughs> oh. But, you know, when we talk about technology, technology can really be anything. And when you think of anything, a fork is technology, right? I mean, uh, the, the teapot is technology, ultimately. And you think about somebody like Rasan, what he did with those horns uh -huh. was technology. Yeah. And he, you know, he he did things to them. From, from what I've heard from people who played with him or whatnot, he would do things to them to alter. He did. Or he would, he would basically, like, what do they call prepared piano? He would have prepared saxophones, uh -huh. right? And he didn't uh -huh. even play. He had the tenor. And then he had the stritch and the manzello, uh -huh. right? In addition to the flute and the other All stuff. All the other things, And he would yeah. make sure that he, he, you know, uh, would uh, kind of redesign the technology to mm -hmm. suit his needs, mm -hmm. you know? Do you mm -hmm. have memories of him, like, coming up with ideas for these things? Because, I mean, that's pretty to think you wanna, about that. You want to know my one big memory and the one that I lived? was the one after the stroke cuz see I didn't I didn't get a lot into the music part of him cuz he even though he wanted you to know all about him that wasn't a requirement I don't know if I'm explaining this right no, in I other understand. words I wasn't a Keiko Jones you know yeah, Keiko yeah, yeah. set up Elvin's drums and she was all involved or right. I wasn't let's see who else is a real Keiko is an excellent example or I wasn't whoever was Art Blakey that was chasing him to see if he was doing drugs or whatever mm -hmm. I was the, 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 the ultimate wife partner mm -hmm. that was going to have to try to duplicate this recipe from this old lady's recipe that Rasan had had some food in Maryland or got you, got you. Or the, the that was that person. He had all these other people for the music part, but this this stands out after the stroke. And he when he decided he was going to play the horn. With one hand, I just thought, now, you know, this is the freaking ultimate. Again, I'm a black and white person. You that you can't do that, mm -hmm. you know? That's that's me. And so um, he decided he was going to do this, and he had it all in his head. And so he called the plant of King Instrument. Uh, you you might may or may not know sure. he was an endorser for King Instruments back then, and they were based in East Lake Ohio, okay near Cleveland, right? And so, mm -hmm, yeah, outside Cleveland, and so he called them up, and the people on the other end of the phone were like, "Me, can't do that, can't do that." He had in his brain how to alter his horns to still be able to play them without the use of both of his hands. Okay, let's fast forward. Rasan told them they could. 
He was coming to the plant, etc., etc. Made reservations. We got on a plane from Newark, went to Ohio. We spent all day in that plant, and Rasan told them exactly what he wanted and how it could work and everything. And it happened. Mm, it mm, just, it yeah. just, they, they, you know, I was amazed, but you know, they were really amazed. They shouldn't have been knowing him, me, just a lay person, female in her thirties. What do I know, you know? But it worked, so that that stands out. I don't think I ever learned to not say to him, "You can't do that." Mm. You know, I. I got it after he was dead. It's like, God, why did I say that? Even though you might not be able to to visualize something, you should have known that he had more than thought it, thought it through. And you should have known from experience that if he said it, just go along with it, it's going to happen. Sure, you know? sure. Yeah. He was amazing. I I, I don't know that I knew how amazing he was until way after he wasn't here. Because certain mm. stuff was just just so impossible. But when you live in something from day to day, you don't have time to think about if it's amazing what it is because you do that and then the next day to next week you're going sure. on to something else and something else and yeah. You know, you just do. You're it. just dealing with the day to day, day to day thing, like the rest yeah, of us Yeah, no do. time to analyze. Sure. Whatever. Sure. Not until yeah. the dust settles years yeah. afterwards. Sure. And when I look back and see people, people on the outside, who were who were fans, some a little bit too fanatical, they really got it, but they could see it. They weren't living it, so mm-hmm. they could look at it from afar and analyzing me. I was living it and wheeling and tilling and so on and yeah. so forth. Because I used to look at those people because back then it was A, a lot of money on campuses, college campuses. So, of course, right? For music, period. Because some of the campuses, they would have rock one week and jazz one week and so on and so forth. And then it was the day of acid, okay? Mm-hmm. And some of those young people, they would just be absolutely going crazy. (laughs) Just for the listeners, I know nothing about that. Nothing. That's your generation problem. No, you were too young. It's like, what is wrong with them? You know, years later, even in a sober mind, I got it. They were. Mm. They were really getting it, maybe a little yeah. enhanced by the drugs, that, but they right. really, really got it. Yeah, you know, I didn't. Yeah, no, I mean, I they really get it now. Got, they I really never got, completely get it. They got what Rasan was doing. You mean? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, maybe they got yeah, it. Yeah, maybe it opened them up to a place where they could, because that's the thing or about something. yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think that a lot of people will be impressed you know when i say well listen to this music i don't ever like say to people who don't know i said well check this check this out 
you know, um, and I'll play like Domino or uh, mm-hmm. one of the tunes like that. That's more kind of accessible in terms of like yeah. the groove and, and yes. harmonically, you know. Yes. And um, and um, well, what did you think about that? Oh, that was really cool. And this, I said, well, that's just one guy yeah. doing all of that. And, and they go, whoa, wait a minute. Well, you yeah. There's three saxophones. And then wait, he's not breathing. How does he do that? How does it, you know? Um, and and i'm always make sure that they know that that it, it's it, medium is is fine medium you need but content is what's important you know what i mean and yeah. i don't think there was ever i think someone you know and i mean i feel that way cuz i do something that could be construed as gimmicky uh-huh. but it's all it's all relative and i think the thing that you heard happening with Rasan a lot is that people were deciding that they were just going to call him gimmicky instead of listen to the vast amount of, you know, because gimmicky is about being a mile wide and an inch deep. Yeah. And he was he was a mile wide and a mile deep. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's yeah, yeah. that's the thing that yeah. made that yeah. that uh, that music so exciting in the way that he developed, you know, his sound. Yeah. He was forever trying to to discount the fact that what he did was a gimmick, you know? He would go crazy every time there was a newspaper article that, that said that, you know? Well, you know, here's the, here's the but thing. But what he was doing is unheard of. It exactly, was impossible. Exactly. Right. That's and, impossible. And, you know, think about, think about the whole concept of jazz education or a curriculum. You can you can take what Charlie Parker did or John Coltrane did or even Louis Armstrong did, and you can kind of freeze dry yeah. that, yeah. and you can make it so that people can learn that. But you can't teach them to do what Rahsaan no. did. It's like try to catch smoke. You know, you yeah. can't really teach them because, of course, there was massive amount of technology in it, and in terms of of just technique. Right. That he had developed himself. But there's this whole language. And he spoke the whole language. And the way that he did it was, yeah, try to do that. And even more, all that, a lot of that stuff came to him in a a dream. And it was, it was just all from a higher being. Mm -hmm. Again, go go figure with that. And so... All of this, and you're right, you can't teach it to this one or that one because all of that was indigenous of him and his dreams and his spirituality and what came to him as a person, Mm, mm. you know? Um, There's a guy in Brooklyn named Noel, and he had a, a group of young people, I will call it a choir, he he was a huge Rasan fan, and I will never forget what he said to me because he I actually hired them to perform at my church for the Jazz Vespers that we present because their presentation was a little bit jazz, a little bit gospel, a little bit. It was appropriate for what mm-hmm. we were doing, and I will never forget. He said to me one time, "That was." He died young because that was too much energy to be contained in one body. I thought, well, wow, wow, that's pretty heavy. Let me Very. dissect that. You yeah, know? sure, of course. And 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 I understood what he meant. 
maybe he was right. Mm, mm. You know? Yeah, but it didn't mean he didn't have to practice. Right. That's right. <laughs> That's right. What was Because he would say from time to time, well, I haven't touched my horns in two or three days. I, I better touch them. And they were like, like his children and off mm. he would go to mm. the music room close the sliding doors and maybe sometimes put on a record and play along with the record but when he would do things like that he was getting ideas for whatever on the bandstand or mm -hmm. maybe I watched him um how, how would I say this? I, I would say, I, I don't know if compose is the right word. I would watch him work on his next album, and I had no idea what he was doing. He wasn't going to tell you because there was no point. Mm. And I would always wonder what he was doing. I always I learned not to ask him a lot of stuff, Sometimes it was strange. He didn't, he didn't want to answer for no reason. I didn't understand. And sometimes he'd say, "If you'd ask him something, to me it could be simple. You wouldn't understand, because he always was, was so misunderstood. I guess by the media and 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 people like that. Maybe that's how he got like that. So when he mm. would be in there with his horn and asking me to pull certain LPs for him, and mm -hmm. I didn't ask nothing. I'm like, whatever, you mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. But ultimately, when the record came out, then you would get, ah, that's what he was doing. Oh, okay, then you, you would know see, what do I mean? some reverse engineering mm -hmm. and see what was going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Gosh, they all left me, Joel is dead, Rasan is dead, Bob Lifton, the, from Regent Sound Studios in mm. New York, who recorded, who was the recording engineer on a lot of those sessions, both Atlantic mm -hmm. and Warner mm -hmm. Brothers. Bob Lifton, he wasn't an old mm. guy when he died. Most of his bands are dead. They weren't. Mm. They weren't old guys. So I'm left. Yeah. Steve Turay is left, and. Mm. I guess a couple more. Mm. Uh, I saw John Goldsmith, one of his dramas. He wasn't with him a real long time, but mm. uh, I saw John Goldsmith in San Jose in August when they did the tribute to him in San Jose because John lives in Seaside, which is oh, okay. but yeah, which is very close. But it's like, gosh, most of those band members are dead. Sure, I have sure. no idea if Jimmy Hopps is still living. I need mm. to find that out. But Jimmy Hopps, Ron Burton, and Vernon Martin, that was the band mm -hmm. of his. And I know Vernon's dead, and I know Ron mm. is dead. And then there were, you know, different guys that came in and out of his band over the years. Mm. Metathias Pearson is still living, but he, after my son died, he went into the school system, taught whatever, returned. Mm -hmm. I mean, he went off into another world. So Steve is the only one mm. that's still 
doing it. Yeah. Uh huh. You should interview. I think I, w- I will. Yeah, because yeah. he, he lives in Montclair. Yeah, you know? yeah. I'm... He's family. He he's known Rasan since. 17, 18, 19, mm. somewhere along there. And I personally have known Steve since about 21 or 22 wow. or something like wow. that. Because, see, I lived in L.A., and I, I, Brasson sent for me to come to see him at different places. And so I met Steve in San Francisco mm. a long time mm. ago. And then, you know, to fast forward... Eventually, Steve moved to New York, but you know, before he played with Rasan, he played with Ray Charles. He oh, I was, didn't know that. Yes, Steve played with Ray Charles. Don't ask me to to say which year, because I would never, ever, ever remember. Uh, and I forget who Steve played with before Rasan when he came here, but Rasan hired him after the stroke to to help pick up the 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 part of the three horn sound that was mm-hmm. missing mm-hmm. you know so and he's been the one along with Joel finding live tapes making LPs out of them but Steve's been the one that's been instrumental in keeping Rasan's music alive because mm-hmm. he formed a group of musicians that that actually played some some festivals and they the, the played, Vibration Society. Uh-huh. Yeah, great. Yeah. I know that record. Great record. He yeah. Played at the American Music Hall. I think that's what it's called in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Great big facility. Um, they flew me out there. They wanted me to introduce the musicians because from time to time. He has to use different musicians mm-hmm. depending on who's available. Sure. So I was out there and everything, and I was really hesitant because I didn't want to get on the stage mm-hmm. in front of all these people. So when I got to the hall, I just, it, it, this was February 2001, I just went to the box office, picked up my ticket, and went up to my seat. <laughs> well, they sent somebody for me so i'm like oh i guess i better do this so i went backstage i went out on stage and i was introduced the musicians and they would come out and then i looked i looked right at james card and guess what happened my i I didn't my whole (laughs) i was looking at him i had no idea what his name was, my whole mind went blank, and Steve and them were going, James Carter, James Carter. <laughs> so, so finally, I understood what they were saying, and it came to me, and I introduced him, but Steve has really kept, been instrumental in keeping his music yeah. alive, you know, and um, again, he spearheaded that band in San Jose that that did the tribute to Rasan mm. in August. You know, there's this place out there called Cafe Stretch. I know, I heard about yes. it. Named after the instrument, yeah. right? Yeah. We had a ball that week. I those, can imagine. Those those people are just absolutely awesome and they all know a lot mm-hmm. about Rasan and they are like 
really, really into them. I was dreading going out there because, you know, some of these fans of musicians, they're so fanatical. There's a difference. Yeah, yeah. And they're so fanatical. Because they need someone that's not a human being, really. You know, yeah. yeah. And so, but we had had great email exchanges and telephone exchanges since last December. Because this started out an event like this, but it took its own life and it grew like that. But when I when I met them, I was really happy that they were great Rasan fans. I actually knew stuff about him that I didn't know Uh in a way that was that was was really great. They they weren't obtrusively mm-hmm. fanatical. Got you. It's again what we were talking about earlier. When you're living the, the quotidian, the day-to-day life, it's your your reality is just as real to you as his reality is today. Yeah. And it, as it was then, it was a daily daily life. You you did things and and uh, you know, but when it has 30 or 40 years to cure your day your day-to-day routine, right. a part of that was your husband making this music. And when it has many years to cure, people can view it through a, a really comprehensive lens. Mm-hmm. So they don't mm-hmm. have to worry about that day to day. They don't have to worry about how. Yeah, that's How true. did you get from uh, being a guy in in a uh, you know Lima, Ohio, learning these instruments to then making all this great music and not just making this great music, but making these great statements and right. these stances right. and all this cultural stuff? People don't, you know, it's like it's easy. It's like okay, here it is and. You know, it's like being a Dostoevsky scholar yeah. or something like that. Yeah. So, I mean, what was like the daily life like? He I mean, tried to be just as just as normal as the guy who worked at Prudential or mm-hmm. AT and T. Meaning, you know, eating. Maybe he only had certain people. <laughs> He let come to the house. Maybe some, in this obviously is when we weren't on the road. Maybe some friend came over. Maybe me and him, and I, I had three daughters by mm. another marriage. Maybe that meant us going out to dinner. Maybe it meant me and him going th- to New York to the theater to see. Sherlock Holmes, which oh, okay. we actually did, and he has that. I still have it somewhere on cassette because he listened to it. Or maybe it meant one of his friends and him going to hear some music somewhere in New Jersey. When he was living, there was a little more than there is now. Or maybe it meant them picking him up, going to the Vanguard. So, mm-hmm. um, so when he wasn't on the road, he was try. He was a big family-oriented mm-hmm. person. Mm-hmm. So, just just to be normal. Yes, he had his he had his, and his funny, ground. You yeah. should say that because because some of these fans sometimes they would come up to him in the clubs and stuff, and they would be like, they think, oh, I mean, they they don't look at them as being mm-hmm. normal. They don't just play the instrument and practice. Every day, yeah. it's like I used to just look at those people. I'm like, oh my god, you know. But how could they know? It's their 
perception, mm -hmm. you know what mm -hmm. I mean? But he loved to do other things. Um, I met Melvin Van Peoples because Rasan went to see that play that was on Broadway when I first came to New York that Melvin produced, Ain't mm. Supposed to Die a Natural Death. Mm. And we were coming out of the theater and blah, blah, blah with the crowd of everybody else when it was over. And Melvin was there that night. And he came up to him, hey, Roland, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of people that knew him from yesteryear never embraced Rasan. He was just rolling. Yeah, period, of course, you know? of course. So he loved to do those things, you know. Uh, daytime hours were sometimes spent going to Punta's Music on 40, whatever street that was. Or Sam Goody's on 49th where he met. Texador, you oh, know, okay. so, yeah, so. So he just go to do the same thing we every musician does, go yeah. have the curiosity, find new sounds and new yeah. instruments. Yeah, or just, and, a, just a normal person. Granted, he collected more than average Joe, but just normal stuff. Sure, sure. Um, playing music was the livelihood, but mm -hmm. it wasn't the only thing, you know. What about, did you go on the road with him? All the time. I'm going to say... Like? I'm going Back to then, say, much different than I'm now. I'm going to say probably 90% of the time. I went all the time. There were a few exceptions where, where I might stay home for a few days and then join him sure. later because they were painting the house or because of something. There were a few times where I went with him and came home early because of something like he was going to be home by Thanksgiving. He went to be sure I was there to make a dinner, you know. Sure, sure. What was it like on the road? And you're talking about not just the U.S., you're talking basically oh, the whole yeah. world. The, the, everywhere, the, the, yeah. everywhere. And getting everywhere. around was not easy then. Like it not. I'm not saying it's easy now. There, it was easier then. You think so? Oh, yeah. No, there's no, you don't have to I take your shoes off? I couldn't imagine traveling with him. I the thought of it. Yeah. You know, um, you didn't have all this security. Um, I'll tell you the fun part about it for me, and I'll tell you the downside. For me, I was a permanent tourist, and I got to see mm -hmm. the world. I never would have seen or thought about some of the places, like 10 days in Australia. That's awesome. You yeah, can't you sure. just, you know. This was the downside for, for me, and I just hated it. The horns, uh, and depending on where we were going, if we were on... A 747, a 1011, I think a, did they have 737s? Maybe they had 737s mm -hmm. back then. Uh, if we were on a DC-9. Oh, no oh, overhead. God. No overhead. You know, it's no, all and, the same problem he, today. And, it's and, all and, the same. And you couldn't put the horn under there and they would insist on ch oh that that this horn thing great. could be a night freaking <laughs> this mess. people are gonna love to hear this north arm because <laughs> it's the same exact thing no. to this day exactly that was same. a nightmare 
Everybody loves music, even, but nobody wants the musicians. Even though we bought a ticket for the bass, that could be a freaking nightmare. Do passengers would we would try to get a bulkhead seat? Mm-hmm. That wasn't always possible. But that bass had a ticket just like a person. Of course. So if it if the flight attendant strapped it in the seat in front of some creep who just wanted to complain, they would complain about it and be like, this, the, the flight attendants, it put them in a precarious situation. Sure. If there wasn't a, 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 a vacant seat, sometimes they would just put it in first class, you know. Mm-hmm. But that was, that was always a pain. Those yeah, two things it still traveling. Is. It still is. It's the so same now pain I can't, it always I just, was. I can't imagine him being, we'd probably gotten put in jail. I don't know by yeah. now because, you know, him being so outspoken and he argued about every doggone thing. But those two things, it was a nightmare. We actually got thrown off of a flight <laughs> from Denver. Thank God he wasn't going to work. We had, he had finished an engagement in Denver. We had spent a couple of days with some friends and we were going from Denver to Houston to visit my family. My mother and all of them mm-hmm. had cooked all this food and all this stuff. Okay. And, and our friends had taking us to the airport in Denver and we had boarded and everything. And and they were gonna put his horn down under. Ooh. And he said no. I mean he wasn't even going to work. He could have just like take the damn thing to the shop when we finally get back to New Jersey, you know. But no, he he argued with them. And the captain told him, this is my plane and threw him my idea. Wow. Yeah. That's the only time That's that that happened. You know, um, I was always so happy when we got a flight and the, and the people who worked for whatever airline, Lord knows we travel on probably every airline that of existed course. because... Because he was in demand, I think Rasan could have worked 365 days a year if he hadn't had the sense to just tell Jack Whittemore, don't book me here. Sure. He always took off August because that was the end of summer and hotness mm-hmm. and the festivals sure, were sure. done. And he always took off January because that was after the holidays, et cetera, et cetera. He might take a, a one-night concert here or there. But what I was saying, I was be so happy when the airline personnel knew it was Roland Curry. And they that took was care of the, it. Yeah. Yes, yes, of course. Otherwise, it's just a bunch oh, of Oh, yeah, weird they put you in the vice. You know, it's not made for musicians. You know? It's made for yeah. business people. One, right. One but, thing they, they, they would do, even if they didn't know us, many times we were allowed to pre-board like the women are now with the kids. Oh, yeah, no, they they won't let you pre-board now. No, 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 no. You have to get the status, you know, you have to fly enough, but you guys would have had it, yeah. Right, But tell me, when you were doing those tours, were you on 
I'm assuming you would be on package tours with other artists or mm. going to festivals. Yes and no. Mm. Um, he played Canada a lot. He, and, uh, let me say this. In the wintertime, we had, I had the unfortunate experience to be able to go to some of the freaking coldest places yeah. in the world. You know why? <laughs> they were very smart because places like Ronnie Scott's in London, we would end up ultimately going there in January and, and, and it would be a year or maybe it would turn out to be 18 months before you would return. So people would come out and they knew because they knew they weren't going to see you. I have photographs of him in Montreal in the winter. It was so For cold. Reason. It was so cold. People were lined around the corner because they knew this was going to be one opportunity. The coldest I I, I didn't I, I didn't I thought once it got zero, it couldn't get no colder. It can. <laughs> we were in Alberta, Calgary or somewhere oh, it up could always there get and colder. it was twenty something. Oh, but no, yeah. it was so cold. I didn't leave the hotel motel to go to the club. Mm -hmm. I remember the heater in the car never got warm from the airport to the hotel. So he would go a lot of places that had nothing to do with with the package tour, you of know. Course. And back then there were more clubs like in the neighborhoods or whatever the city to play that that just that just doesn't exist yeah, anymore, yeah. I guess. Other music and technology and lack of interest in jazz audience dying and whatever must have taken over it, it uh, did a change but you know i mean i tour the u.s all the time and i you just you have to make your own situation mm, and you can find mm -hmm. those places to play yeah um but it's just different and it, uh -huh. and you know i think that if you sp i mean it, you know in talking to you and talking to some other people you know you just start to realize like well you know my generation spent a lot of time um idealizing your generation yeah. and what you had but it's not it's not fair to do that because your paradigm was an entirely different paradigm to figure out how to yeah. have a hustle that worked in yeah and yeah. ours is a completely different paradigm and right. uh, i think it's unfair of us to idealize your paradigm right uh and it's also unfair of people in your generation to expect us to try to make your paradigm work in this day and age because it just won't. Mm -mm. It just mm -mm. won't. But, but you know, it, it's. I think it's important for people in my generation to not idealize um, the generation that came before in terms of of just uh, cherry picking what we want to cherry pick. You know, because mm -hmm. you you guys dealt with a lot of shit that we yeah. don't have to deal with. A lot of it. And then the know. other side. Of Traveling with him could be a nightmare because of his sightlessness mm -hmm. and his determination to be so independent. One mm -hmm. was going out to eat. That could be, that that was the other nightmare. Right. It's not funny, but 
What are you going to do? And you have no idea what I mean. Okay. Oh, I do know what you, you do mean. Know. I know exactly oh, what you mean. it was just a nightmare. You know, with the waitress, and it was people's lack of sensitivity, their mm -hmm. stupidity, or whatever. Yeah. You know. Um, if people don't generally know someone who doesn't have visual sight, right. they tend it to... It intimidates them. It intimidates them, or they tend to treat them like... A curiosity or yeah. not they, your humanity they kind of, they, kind of strips your humanity I've seen it with yeah. what happened with people they would ultimately ask somebody at the table what does he want to eat oh, wow. and you know of which time that's ridiculous if, if that's just plain ridiculous and stupid when the rest of us because we knew what was getting ready to come <laughs> so you just want to go on the 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 table, but you just sit there and let them suffer his wrath. Okay, you get over that. Okay. And I'm sure his wrath was entertaining, at it, least, if it, you weren't on the receiving end. Right. You know, and you you wanted to feel sorry for the poor creep that was stupid enough to ask one of us, you know. And the other thing was, this was really ironic. When the check came, they would give it Every anybody at the table except Rasan, but guess what? Guess who you think had the most money in their pocket at the table? Him. <laughs> you know? So those those two things were it, it was just a pain. You you always dreaded it and, and, and when you would go to eat you just hope everything worked out okay. Right. I got to learn that certain restaurants in certain towns, I got to hope and pray they were still there because Rasan had been to them and, and, and that the same people worked there. And you knew he, what to expect. Yeah. He, he had indoctrinated some of those places to know, oh, hi, Mr. Kirk, da da da. And when yeah. you experienced that, you knew, I'm not going to have to go through no ritual exactly. you know what yeah. I mean yeah, yeah yeah and that's the and I know from my experience um that that's one of the most tedious things of being on the road is that you are ready to go to letter z but you everyone else doesn't realize that you know you, you but so you have to do all the letters from A up to Z, right? So that you have to go through these these same steps every day on a daily basis, and it gets very frustrating. And I can only imagine how frustrating it was for him, right? Um, right. You know, yeah. uh, just just the touring thing is, right. is difficult enough. Yeah. You know, when you throw in that aspect of it, I could only imagine. Right. We fared. I, I don't remember any bad experiences with hotels. You know, I mean. You go there, you give your name, and Skycap takes your stuff to the room, what have you. But boy, those, those airlines. And oh. The, uh, just, the, the airlines. Yeah. Just, just a, yeah. Oh, what a nightmare. No, I'm Can sure. Can you imagine what a nightmare with him? And he, that stuff he wore, and oh, it would just be suicidal to try to travel with him. <laughs> well, you know, we, I think that if you're a musician, <laughs> that you're going to have to do a lot to not stick out, and you're going to stick out anyway. So 
you know, he, I guess maybe he figured I might as well just do it. You know, I might as well just go all the way and, and, uh, but anyway, that was, that was during the day of the Daishiki. And mm -hmm. I don't know if you've seen photographs. He sure. Had of course. That non-traditional walking stick and I mean the mm -hmm. whole thing. It was just. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's fantastic. And if I would fuss, because I do believe in life, you have to pick your battles. Mm -hmm. He didn't. They were. He just battled. He take them all. Everything. He take any of them. You know, but there were times when he'd want to say something. Now he's gonna make me feel bad. I would say something, but we don't want to embarrass the princess here. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> You know. Of course, of course. I'm like, you you know, just whatever you want to deal with it, yeah, you know. Yeah, So sometimes he would use me as an excuse to say he wanted to challenge something, but mm -hmm. he wasn't going to because it was going to embarrass me. Right, right. So that was doubly galling for you. Yeah. Right? You, you know, now yeah. I'm the bad guy along exactly. with them. You yeah. know, because I'm some kind of way I'm siding with them or whatever. You yeah. know, I just feel. Oh, <laughs> 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 well, that's classic. Yeah. Well, I don't want to keep you all day. You have any closing we thoughts could, or anything you want to? I don't know. We could talk about this till this time next week. That's very true. You that's know, very true. I'm happy that one of your peer guitarists. Loves him, Derek Trucks. You know. Oh that. yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, he he's and he's he a great player. Yeah. And there's, he's so nice and so sweet and so manable. They've been here to the station for an interview before, and you know, as young people like you all who will be keeping his name and legacy mm -hmm. alive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In some way, shape, or form, at least. Yeah. You know, I mean, in my part, it, I studied whatever. him. Yeah, yeah, I studied whatever. him very deeply. And Spread the out. word. And in Derek's case, he recorded Volunteer Slavery. Then the next CD that his mate, he made, his manager contacted me, and they used a, some heavy quote from Rasan mm -hmm. on, the, on the back of the album. But they oh, asked cool. me, I didn't know that. was oh, it okay? Great. And I have a... Anything to do with, like, you all with the band and Derek and all that, I have a special place that I keep stuff like that at oh, home. So I have the you. CDs right there, you know. Oh, good. I have a little section for people who are interested in my son that are musicians. Mm, yeah, mm. yeah. So, so I just hope. His name just lives on and on and on, sure. and his music, you know, one young man, I forget his name, but I have his information at home, because he sent me all that, all those papers that I will never read. He went to Boston College, and he did his thesis on the Jazz and People's Movement, that part of Rasan. you probably wow. know about that. So, I don't, I don't so, know about it. So some kind of way, well, I'll tell you the, the, the short version of the story because it's on the internet. 
and this was pre-mink, but I had all the paper, I have all the paperwork from it. Many years ago, Rasan and Billy Harp and Mingus and a whole bunch of musicians spearheaded by Rasan was protesting no jazz on TV. Mm. You should Google jazz and people's mm -hmm. book. And, and what they would do was to, and Mark Davis, one of Rasan's stunch followers, Rasan was like a father to Mark Davis. And what they would do is get the tickets to go to the tapings mm -hmm. of the the Ed Sullivan show and mm -hmm. the da 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 whoever. The cabin. He just seemed to have a complete from looking at what I have read, he and hearing him on the bandstand. He seemed to have a special disdain for Dick Cavett. <laughs> <laughs> Do tell. Do tell. So what they did is they would get these tickets, and all these people would go to the tapings of those shows, and Rasan had bought these wooden whistles for them to blow, and they would disrupt oh, the taping wow. of the show. And this wow. was this was in protest. Of no jazz on TV, and this was, I guess, sixty eight, sixty nine, maybe early seventy, mm -hmm. somewhere along that period of time. So as Sullivan got slick before they got to him, and had some jazz musicians on. I can't even remember if it was Rasan or not. Um, Mingus was on one of those late night shows, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And he took a whole chunk of time out of his Rasan, out of his 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 working career to be able to do that. Um again, I know Billy Harper was very involved. Mm. I wanna say Lee Morgan, but I can't be mm. for certain. But there are people that can tell you about that. But again, you can Google it. Sure, I'm I sure. will. I will. Mm -hmm. I'll check that so, out. Because he never could understand why jazz wasn't on TV. Because um, after all, if you anything you put on TV, it's automatically legitimized because the public is stupid and they think that if it's on TV... <laughs> It's legit, It's right? real, of course. It's a stamp of approval. But they just, they just wouldn't. Do you remember many years after that, David Sanborn? Night had Music. A show. Yeah. That was a great show. But you know how Wilner produced for that. Sure. And David Sanborn is a fan of Rossans. He will tell you. And they did, I think, if I remember correctly, like 22 minutes or something because I could not I could not believe what TV paid I was like I mean and I it's like wow and they sent me the papers for this I guess the statutory license but Krasovlaski being the crazy fool he is do you know 
Bill Krasoblowski. No. The, the entertainment, he's retired now. The entertainment attorney that wrote all those books on the business of music. No. Oh, God. yes, yeah, I know Did, the book, yeah. Well, that was my attorney. Oh, good after, choice. <laughs> after my son died, just the fear of God set in me. And I think at the time, the the attorney we had, I think his name was Sonnenberg. I mean, his fee was like $250 an hour or something. I, oh, I'm not going to be, I did the panic. So I called up Billy Taylor, and I told him, and he said, you call Bill Krasovlaska, and you tell him, I said, to call. So Mr. Krasovlaska completely retired last year. What is this, 13? He retired in 12. But all those years he represented me for a little or no money because he had made a lot of money in the business on rock stars, et cetera, mm, et cetera. Mm. He was, he, by the time he started helping me, he said he just wanted to help little people like me. He was able to Good get the, he was able to get the Elvis Presley stuff back that Eddie Blackwell wrote that Elvis oh, Presley wow. ripped him off. Wow, wow. Even though Eddie had died, the family still mm -hmm. was. So good, they, and good. he did something with the Fats Waller estate and so on and, and so forth. So um, he negotiated more money for whatever they were using. And I was just like, I mean, what a million dollars, but it's still, it's like, boy. Yeah, TV money. No, stupid yeah. money, you know. Yeah. Um, I was disappointed, but glad to know Martin Scorsese was a fan of Rassan. Oh, get out of here. Uh -huh. Oh, that's um, great. Years ago. Better I, use I his I, music in a movie, then. I know, but that's where I'm going with this. I always wondered what what I could, how I could get to him, what I could do. Years ago, I want to say it was in the 80s. I know it was in the 80s because BGO was still upstairs. I got a call from his office one day, and they wanted to use Rasan's composition, The Business of Music, yeah. for the film with Jerry Lewis, The King of Comedy. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I was... I was beside myself, and I remember talking you, is to it this, the woman. It was this business ain't nothing but the blues, uh, right? right? Yeah, for sure. And so, the, I talked to the woman, I'm like, wow, how did he come to pick this music, blah, 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 and she said, Mr. Scott, he's a, a fan of Kirk's, you know? Anyhow, long story short, it died on the editing floor. As, but as every, often happens. Ever since then, I've hoped that his music would reach somewhere yeah. that's that prominent. Yeah. Movie, TV, et cetera, et cetera. You never know. Probably if I hadn't had to start working a full-time job, I could have bothered Quincy more because Quincy loved, loved mm. my son. I could have bothered him more, figured out how to, through some of the contacts I have, how to get to the... Scarsese's, but it's never too late. No, no, it's, it's never, never too never late. Too and late. It's, it's always turning, and you never know yeah. when you make the music. It's it has a life of its own. Yeah, yeah. You never know where it's going to show up. Right. So. Yeah, totally. So. 
<laughs> well, that was great, Dorothon. Thank, Thank you. Thank you for taking the time. I appreciate it. Thank you. My pleasure.